Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. The eternal challenge, a journey through the miraculous Quran by Abu Zakaria. Part 2, page 13. <clears throat> what are its main themes? What are its main themes? Belief in God Almighty. The essence of the Quran is monotheism. Monotheism is captured in its 112th chapter. Say he is God the One, God the Eternal. He begot no one, nor was he begotten. No one is comparable to him. Chapter 112. You can think of this chapter of the Quran as the manifesto of monotheism in Islam. It tells us that God is one. This is not one in the sense of one which can become two and two which can become three and so on. This is one and uniquely one that cannot become two. But how can we know that our Creator is one? Why can there not be two or three? We can come to this conclusion through reason, a gift given to us by God, which allows us to ponder and reflect on the universe around us and make conclusions about it. It is like when an art historian looks at a series of paintings without knowing the name of the painter, but can identify the artist who created them based on the signature style of the painting. So when it comes to our divine origins, what can we conclude based on the universe around us? It turns out that there is consistent design throughout nature. There are many repeating numbers such as the uh, <coughs> Fibonacci sequence, Fibonacci or Fibonacci sequence. This mathematical series of numbers has been described as nature's code. Uh, Fibonacci uh, numbers recur over and over in many unrelated phenomena in nature. These numbers can be seen from the smallest of things to the largest, from biological systems to inanimate objects. A swirling pattern known as the golden spiral is one example of a shape based on these numbers. Examples in nature that exhibit this pattern include a snail's shell, the shape of galaxies, the swirling formation of hurricanes, flowers, and even our fingerprints. You can think of these patterns as a consistent design signature. This consistent design signature in nature shows the oneness of the Creator who made it all. 
Another example of consistent design throughout nature is DNA. DNA is genetic information which all living creatures carry in each of their cells. All genes in every living creature are coded messages for how to build the organism. You can think of them as blueprints. Even though living things may outwardly appear to be very different at the genetic level because of uh, very at the genetic level because of their shared creator, they can be very similar. For example, as humans, we share approximately fifty percent of our DNA with banana trees. We find that the DNA, the blueprint, is shared by all living things across nature. This common design points to a common designer, one creator behind it all. What would be the case if there were multiple gods, multiple creators? Polytheistic religions, religions that believe in multiple gods, always portray these gods with distinct personalities. This is why the religions are filled with tales of disputes among the gods as their personalities clash. A good example is Hinduism, where the god Shiva is said to have cut the head of the god Ganesh and later replaced his head with an elephant's. If there were multiple gods, multiple creators, then this would be reflected in the reality of the world around us. The state of creation would likely be chaotic, and the blueprints across nature would surely differ. Each god with its own distinct personality would impose its own design on its own creations. If there were various gods who made the different things we see today, it would be reasonable to assume that even those things which look the same are very different at a microscopic level. Therefore, evidence in nature points us to the conclusion that there must in a state be one creator. A critic may point out that things that are engineered are generally made by more than one creator, for example, cars. When it comes to the creation of cars, one person designs the engine, another person designs the braking system, and so on and so forth. Is this a, is this a valid argument? There may be a possibility of multiple designers or creators collaborating with one another in the human domain, as illustrated by the car example, but there cannot be more than one God in the domain of the divine. This is because when we think of God, we think of a divine being with a will. God does whatever he wills. In other words, God, by definition, is a being that has an unlimited imposing will. For the sake of argument, what would be the situation if there were two gods and a conflict arose between them? Let us imagine that they each wanted to move a rock in opposite directions. Since both their wills cannot be enforced, since both their wills cannot be enforced, there are only two possibilities. One, they agree to compromise and have the same will. 
This would mean that both their wills are now limited and passive, which would mean they are not gods anymore by definition. Two, one overpowers the other. It is this dominant God that is the true God. As you can see in this example, it's impossible to have multiple wills. The will of any God which is not realized cannot be considered God. This is the simplest and most logical explanation for the order and stability of the universe around us. There is only one unlimited imposing will, one God, and He alone deserves our worship. Getting back to the chapter of the Quran, in the next verse, we are also told that God is eternal. God the eternal, this means that He has no beginning and will never come to an end. A common question many people ask in who created God? If we use reason, we come to the conclusion that God must be uncreated due to the absurdity of a never-ending chain of creators. To illustrate this better, if the creator of the universe had a creator, and that creator had a creator, and that creator had a creator, and so on and so forth, then we would not have a universe. Imagine if you were told that you could not read this book until someone else read it before you, and that person also could not read it until someone else read it before them, and this went on forever. Would anyone ever read this book? The answer is no. Now, if we apply this principle to the universe, then we would have to conclude that the creator behind it is uncreated out of rational necessity. Because for the universe to be in existence, we could not have an infinite number of creators. We rather need one eternal creator. <coughs> the next verse tells us that God does not have any children or parents. He begot no one, nor was he begotten. Why would a supreme God not have any children or parents? The final verse of the chapter answers this question. No one is comparable to him. Everything within the creation has to reproduce in order for life to continue. In other words, we have offspring out of a need for survival. Some people have children for other reasons, such as wanting to be looked after when they become old and frail. This is also a need. But if God is unlike his creation, then he does not have any needs, and so he does not beget. Another point worth mentioning is the notion of the creator being distinct from the creation. For example, if a person were to create a chair on a table, then that person would not become the chair or table. We are distinct and disjoined from what we make. Similarly, God created the universe and therefore the universe is distinct and disjoined from him. An interesting point is that the Quran says that belief in a creator is the natural state of all human beings. So profit as a man of a pure uh, so profit as a man of pure faith stand firm and true in your devotion to the religion. This is the natural disposition God instilled in mankind. Chapter 30, verse 30. There is in fact 
psychological, sociological, and anthropological evidence to support this notion. Oxford University's uh, psychologist, Dr. Oliveira, Oliveira uh, Petrovich, an expert in psychology of religion, conducted some studies concerning the psychology of the human being and God's existence. She discovered that infants are hardwired to believe in God and atheism has to be learned. Professor Justin Barrett did some research by looking at the behavior and claims of children. He concluded that the children believe in what he calls natural religion. This is the idea that there is a personal being that created the entire universe. That being cannot be human. It must be divine, supernatural. Let's listen. Scientific research on children's developing minds and supernatural beliefs suggests that children normally and rapidly acquire minds that facilitate belief in supernatural agents. Not long after their first birthday, babies appear to understand that agents, but not natural forces, are ordinary objects can create order out of disorder. Who is the creator? Children know Children, no people are not good uh, candidates. It must have been a God. Children are born believers of what I call natural religion. <clears throat> Let us consider the atheism of communist Russia and communist China. The Soviet Union was the first state to have an ideological objective to eliminate religion and replace it with atheism. The vast majority of people in the Russian Empire were at the time of the Communist Revolution religious believers, whereas the Communists aimed to break the power of all religious institutions and eventually replace religious beliefs with atheism. To that end, the Communist regime confiscated church property, ridiculed religion, harassed believers, and propagated atheism in the schools. Criticism of atheism was strictly forbidden and sometimes led to imprisonment. In spite of this, atheists still had signs of what you would call a worship instinct, which relates to the natural state that the Quran speaks of. For example, their big statues of Stalin and Lenin were almost revered. When you look at different cultures, you can see this worship instinct coming through. This instinct even manifests itself in atheist, in atheist cultures. The fall of communism saw a rapid revival of religion which is flourishing today in Russia. If belief in God is nothing more than an ideology, something that people are indoctrinated with by their parents, then should these efforts by the Communist Party over the space of several generations not have undone religious uh, convictions? All this evidence leads to one conclusion. Belief in God is not taught, but exists naturally within human beings. Therefore, when pondering, therefore, when pondering God, the question should not actually be, does God exist? But rather, what reasons do we have to reject his existence? Because God's existence is self-evidently true. Alhamdulillah. That's the end of part uh, two.
Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. The eternal challenge, a journey through the miraculous Quran by Abu Zakaria. Part 2, page 13. <coughs> what are its main themes? What are its main themes? Belief in God Almighty. The essence of the Quran is monotheism. Monotheism is captured in its 112th chapter. Say he is God the One, God the Eternal. He begot no one, nor was he begotten. No one is comparable to him. Chapter 112. You can think of this chapter of the Quran as the manifesto of monotheism in Islam. It tells us that God is one. This is not one in the sense of one which can become two and two which can become three and so on. This is one and uniquely one that cannot become two. But how can we know that our Creator is one? Why can there not be two or three? We can come to this conclusion through reason, a gift given to us by God, which allows us to ponder and reflect on the universe around us and make conclusions about it. It is like when an art historian looks at a series of paintings without knowing the name of the painter, but can identify the artist who created them based on the signature style of the painting. So when it comes to our divine origins, what can we conclude based on the universe around us? It turns out that there is consistent design throughout nature. There are many repeating numbers such as the uh, <coughs> Fibonacci sequence, Fibonacci or Fibonacci sequence. This mathematical series of numbers has been described as nature's code. Uh, Fibonacci uh, numbers recur over and over in many unrelated phenomena in nature. These numbers can be seen from the smallest of things to the largest, from biological systems to inanimate objects. A swirling pattern known as the golden spiral is one example of a shape based on these numbers. Examples in nature that exhibit this pattern include a snail's shell, the shape of galaxies, the swirling formation of hurricanes, flowers, and even our fingerprints. You can think of these patterns as a consistent design signature. This consistent design signature in nature shows the oneness of the Creator who made it all. 
Another example of consistent design throughout nature is DNA. DNA is genetic information which all living creatures carry in each of their cells. All genes in every living creature are coded messages for how to build the organism. You can think of them as blueprints. Even though living things may outwardly appear to be very different, at the genetic level because of uh, very at the genetic level because of their shared creator they can be very similar for example as humans we share approximately 50% of our dna with banana trees we find that the dna the blueprint is shared by all living things across nature this common design points to a common designer one creator behind it all. What would be the case if there were multiple gods, multiple creators? Polytheistic religions, religions that believe in multiple gods, always portray these gods with distinct personalities. This is why the religions are filled with tales of disputes among the gods as their personalities clash. A good example is Hinduism where the god Shiva is said to have cut the head of the god Ganesh and later replaced his head with an elephant's. If there were multiple gods, multiple creators, then this would be reflected in the reality of the world around us. The state of creation would likely be chaotic, and the blueprints across nature would surely differ. Each god with its own distinct personality would impose its own design on its own creations. If there were various gods who made the different things we see today, it would be reasonable to assume that even those things which look the same are very different at a microscopic level. Therefore, evidence in nature points us to the conclusion that there must in a state be one creator. A critic may point out that things that are engineered are generally made by more than one creator, for example, cars. When it comes to the creation of cars, one person designs the engine, another person designs the braking system, and so on and so forth. Is this, a, is this a valid argument? There may be a possibility of multiple designers or creators collaborating with one another in the human domain as illustrated by the car example, but there cannot be more than one God in the domain of the divine. This is because when we think of God, we think of a divine being with a will. God does whatever he wills. In other words, God, by definition, is a being that has an unlimited imposing will. For the sake of argument, what would be the situation if there were two gods and a conflict arose between them? Let us imagine that they each wanted to move a rock in opposite directions. Since both their wills cannot be enforced, since both their wills cannot be enforced, there are only two possibilities. One, they agree to compromise and have the same will, 
This would mean that both their wills are now limited and passive, which would mean they are not gods anymore by definition. 2. One overpowers the other. It is this dominant God that is the true God. As you can see in this example, it's impossible to have multiple wills. The will of any God which is not realized cannot be considered God. This is the simplest and most logical explanation for the order and stability of the universe around us. There is only one unlimited imposing will, one God, and He alone deserves our worship. Getting back to the chapter of the Quran, in the next verse, we are also told that God is eternal. God the eternal, this means that He has no beginning and will never come to an end. A common question many people ask in who created God? If we use reason, we come to the conclusion that God must be uncreated due to the absurdity of a never-ending chain of creators. To illustrate this better, if the creator of the universe had a creator, and that creator had a creator, and that creator had a creator, and so on and so forth, then we would not have a universe. Imagine if you were told that you could not read this book until someone else read it before you, and that person also could not read it until someone else read it before them, and this went on forever. Would anyone ever read this book? The answer is no. Now, if we apply this principle to the universe, then we would have to conclude that the creator behind it is uncreated out of rational necessity. Because for the universe to be in existence, we could not have an infinite number of creators. We rather need one eternal creator. <coughs> the next verse tells us that God does not have any children or parents. He begot no one, nor was he begotten. Why would a supreme God not have any children or parents? The final verse of the chapter answers this question. No one is comparable to him. Everything within the creation has to reproduce in order for life to continue. In other words, we have offspring out of a need for survival. Some people have children for other reasons, such as wanting to be looked after when they become old and frail. This is also a need. But if God is unlike his creation, then he does not have any needs, and so he does not beget. Another point worth mentioning is the notion of the creator being distinct from the creation. For example, if a person were to create a chair on a table, then that person would not become the chair or table. We are distinct and disjoined from what we make. Similarly, God created the universe and therefore the universe is distinct and disjoined from him. An interesting point is that the Quran says that belief in a creator is the natural state of all human beings. So profit as a man of a pure uh, so prophet as a man of pure faith stand firm and true in your devotion to the religion this is the natural disposition god instilled in mankind chapter 30 verse 30 there is in fact 
psychological, sociological, and anthropological evidence to support this notion. Oxford University's uh, psychologist, Dr. Olivera, Olivera uh, Petrovich, an expert in psychology of religion, conducted some studies concerning the psychology of the human being and God's existence. She discovered that infants are hardwired to believe in God and atheism has to be learned. Professor Justin Barrett did some research by looking at the behavior and claims of children. He concluded that the children believe in what he calls natural religion. This is the idea that there is a personal being that created the entire universe. That being cannot be human. It must be divine, supernatural. Let's listen. Scientific research on children's developing minds and supernatural beliefs suggests that children normally and rapidly acquire minds that facilitate belief in supernatural agents. Not long after their first birthday, babies appear to understand that agents, but not natural forces, are ordinary objects can create order out of disorder. Who is the creator? Children know children know people are not good uh, candidates. It must have been a God. Children are born believers of what I call natural religion. <coughs> Let us consider the atheism of communist Russia and communist China. The Soviet Union was the first state to have an ideological objective to eliminate religion and replace it with atheism. The vast majority of people in the Russian Empire were at the time of the communist revolution religious believers, whereas the communists aimed to break the power of all religious institutions and eventually replace religious beliefs with atheism. To that end, the communist regime confiscated church property, ridiculed religion, harassed believers, and propagated atheism in the schools. Criticism of atheism was strictly forbidden and sometimes led to imprisonment. In spite of this, atheists still had signs of what you would call a worship instinct, which relates to the natural state that the Quran speaks of. For example, their big statues of Stalin and Lenin were almost revered. When you look at different cultures, you can see this worship instinct coming through. This instinct even manifests itself in atheist, in atheist cultures. The fall of communism saw a rapid revival of religion which is flourishing today in Russia. If belief in God is nothing more than an ideology, something that people are indoctrinated with by their parents, then should these efforts by the Communist Party over the space of several generations not have undone religious uh, convictions? All this evidence leads to one conclusion. Belief in God is not taught, but exists naturally within human beings. Therefore, when pondering Therefore, when pondering God, the question should not actually be, does God exist, but rather, what reasons do we have to reject his existence? Because God's existence is self-evidently true. Alhamdulillah. That's the end of part uh, two.
Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. The eternal challenge. A journey through the miraculous Quran by Abu Zakaria. Preface. The last century has witnessed a surge in literature about the Quran in many languages written by Muslims and non-Muslims alike. More often than not, such works focus on a single topic or are directed at a scholarly audience. So I decided to write this book because there was a need for a comprehensive and up-to-date work about the Qur'an for people of all faiths and none. I have avoided an academic style in order to make the book accessible to everyone. No prior knowledge of the Qur'an or Islam is needed to read this book. I want to give readers an insight into why the Qur'an has captivated the hearts and minds of over 1.5 billion Muslims around the world, including my own. Please note that it is not possible for one book to cover every nuance of the Qur'an, nor is it possible to address every contention. Such a scope would require volumes. I therefore encourage readers to reflect on the points this book raises and also undertake their own further research. My sincere hope is that this book will serve as a valuable companion for those sitting out on the stimulating journey to discover the message of the Quran, a message that extends to everyone who is prepared to listen to what it has to say. We value any feedback that you might have. As such, we have set up an online research to provide updates to the book and also address any questions we receive from readers. This is, you can visit www.onereason.org slash eternal challenge. Also, as this is the first book of its kind, there is a possibility of errors. If readers do happen to come across any errors, then we kindly request that you please notify us eternal challenge at onereason.org so that they can be corrected in a future edition. Finally, I would like to thank all those who helped me along my journey of writing this book, which represents the culmination of decades of collective research. This book would simply not have been possible without the support of my family and the hard work of my peers who are too numerous to mention by name. I am especially grateful to Hamza uh, Zoratziz and uh, Sabur Ahmed for entrusting me with writing a book of this importance. Their contributions and encouragement have been invaluable. Most importantly of all, I am grateful to Allah for His help, without which nothing, nothing could have been done. 
I humbly pray to him to accept this work as a service unto him and to forgive me for any unintentional mistakes. Abu Zakaria, manyprofitsonemessage.com A very important website, manyprofitsonemessage.com Well, let's go over the content. I'll just go over the content quickly so that you will have a comprehensive look. What is the Quran? What does it teach? What are its main themes? Belief in God Almighty. Stories of the prophets and past nations. The hereafter. Why believe in the Quran? The concept of God. Preservation. Timelessly relevant. Timelessly relevant. Literary features, structure, accurate predictions about the future, reveals lost knowledge from history, cannot be imitated, life of the Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessing be upon him, impact on society, reflections on the signs of the Quran. These are the topics that will be covered in addition to who authored the Quran, some final thoughts, and of course, at the end of the book, there are references. Well, let's go over the topics or the content, take topic by topic. First, what is the Quran? What is the Quran and how did it come about? Muslims believer, Muslims believe, sorry, Muslims believe that the Quran was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, by God Almighty through the angel Gabriel. The Quran informs us that Muhammad is the final messenger in a long line of messengers that God sent before him, such as Abraham, Moses, and Jesus, peace be upon them all. This is one of the many unique aspects of the Quran. It acknowledges all of the messengers sent by God. The Quran's impact on the world is immeasurable. Although the Quran was revealed in 7th century Arabia, it contains a universal message for the whole of mankind. Because of the Quran, there are over 1.5 billion Muslims in the world today, near, nearly a quarter of a humanity. They are people of all races. They are people of all races, nationalities, and backgrounds. Just to give you a practical demonstration of how many Muslims there are in the world at any given moment, on any day, someone, somewhere is reciting the Quran. It is estimated that there are many millions of Muslims alive today who have memorized the, who have memorized the entire Quran one has to wonder what is it about the Qur'an that has made such an imprint on the hearts of over a billion Muslims. While the Qur'an is the most widely read book in the world, it is also arguably the most often misunderstood and misrepresented. These days it seems that everyone is talking about the Qur'an. But how many have actually read it? How many have allowed it to speak uh, for itself? 
whether you have read the Qur'an or not, whether you have even heard of the Qur'an before or not, it has already shaped and influenced your life in ways you cannot imagine. You may be thinking to yourself, do all religions not make fantastical claims? After all, if these ancient books were originally written in the past, and we were not there at the time to witness the events, then does not belief in them ultimately derive from blind faith? Muslims do not just believe in, the, in that, do not just believe that the Qur'an, again, Muslims do not just believe that the Qur'an is from God based on a blind faith. The Qur'an is a living miracle, one that we can all experience for ourselves, Bold claims need to be backed up by strong evidence. As you are going to see, the Qur'an challenges its reader and engages our intellect by providing many testable and verifiable proofs of its divine origin. This book is going to challenge misconceptions and make some strong assertions. If you are a skeptic of religious books because you think they are filled with too many fantastical claims and insufficient evidence, then prepare to be surprised. If you have already read the Qur'an and think that you have seen everything uh, it has to offer, think again. What does it teach? What does it teach? There is a profound question that each and every one of us reflects on at some point during our lives. Why am I here? What is my purpose? When we reflect upon our own existence, we will come to the realization that at some point in time we began to exist. Since we once did not exist and now we do, it follows that we must have had a beginning. In the light of this, the Qur'an puts forward a simple but powerful argument with regard to our origins. Or were they created by nothing? Or were they created by nothing? Or were they the creators of themselves? Or did they create the heavens and the earth? Rather, they are not certain. Quran chapter 52 verses 35 and 36. The Quran engages its audience by inviting us to ponder upon some rational logical questions which we can use to arrive at a conclusion. Not only about our origin, but also about the origin of everything that exists in the material world, in other words, the entire universe. There is an abundance, there is an abundance, there is an abundance of cosmological evidence that the universe had a beginning. This is the most predominant view among cosmologist, if we take these questions that the Qur'an poses and apply them to the universe, then there are three possibilities for its origin. One, it was created from nothing. Two, it was self-created. Three, it has an external cause. The first possibility is that the universe was created from nothing, 
Can something really come from nothing? This is impossible. We know from our own personal experience of life as well as the laws of the universe that things do not just pop into existence out of nothing. Out of nothing, nothing comes. Out of nothing, nothing comes. This leads us to the next possibility. The universe was self-created. Can something create itself? This is a self-contradiction. Something creating itself requires its own pre-existence. Things cannot exist and not exist at the same time. That would be like saying that your mother gave birth to herself. Since something cannot come from nothing and self-creation is absurd, then what is the alternative? There is one final possibility. The universe has an external cause. This is the best explanation for the origin of the universe and everything in it, including ourselves, because it is intuitive and concurs with natural law. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. One has to wonder, is the creative force behind the universe some random event or an intelligent mind? Universal human existence tells us that when we find things working according to systems and laws, something intelligent has made those systems and laws. Let us take an example of something most of us have and use on a regular basis, the mobile phone. Mobile phones are composed of a few basic elements such as plastic, glass, silicon and some uh, precious metals. Plastic comes from oil, glass and silicon come from sand. So basically what you are holding in your hand is, so, is oil and sand. Now imagine if you were walking along the desert. Now imagine if you were, walk, uh, if you were walking along the desert rich in oil and sand and you picked up a mobile phone which you just found lying there. Would the thought ever enter your mind that this is a product of millions of years of random events? The wind blew, the sun shone, the rain fall. Sorry, again. The wind blew, the sun shone, the rain fell, lightning, lightning struck, the oil bubbled, the camel trod, and after millions and millions of years, the mobile phone formed itself. In reality, is there a chance that this could have randomly formed itself through natural processes? In reality, is there a chance that this mobile could have randomly formed itself through natural processes? However remotely possible, most of us would simply not accept this as a reasonable explanation. Why then would we accept such an explanation for our universe which is significantly more complex than a mobile phone? When we observe the planets, solar systems, galaxies, stars and everything else in the universe, we see that they are all highly ordered with intricate systems and laws in place. A good example is the incredible fine-tuning of the universe. Evidence shows that the constants of physics have been finely tuned to a degree impossible for human engineering to achieve, never mind a random event. 
One such example is the cosmological constant. The Nobel Prize winner and a professor of physics, Steven Weinberg, made the following calculation with regard to the cosmological constant. Let's hear it. One constant does seem to require an incredible fine-tuning. The existence of life of any kind seems to require cancellation between different contributions to the vacuum energy uh, accurate to about 120 decimal places. If not, if not, the universe either would go through a complete cycle of explanation, sorry, if not, the universe either would go through a complete cycle of expansion and contraction before life could arise or would expand so rapidly that no galaxies or stars could form. I will repeat this. One constant does seem to require an incredible fine-tuning. The existence of life of any kind seems to require a cancellation between different contributions to the vacuum energy accurate to about 120 decimal places. If not, the universe either would go through a complete cycle of expansion and contraction before life could arise, or would expand so rapidly that no galaxies or stars could form. To put it, in, to put it another way, if this constant differed by one part, uh, uh, then if this constant differed in one part in uh in in the in the mil uh, then there would have been uh, uh, to put it in another way if this constant differed by one part uh then there would have been no chance for life in the universe this degree of fine tuning is difficult to imagine because such accuracy represents an incredibly sensitive balance the following analogy should make it easier to visualize. Imagine if every grain of sand on earth from every beach and desert that exists was collected together and placed in a gigantic container. Now take just one of these grains, paint it red, and mix it back with the rest of the sand blindfold a friend and ask them to pick out the red grain what are the odds that they will be successful yet you would have to believe in such a feat to believe that the fine-tuning of the universe came about by chance the cosmological constant is just one example there are many others including the ratio of electrons and protons the ratio of electromagnetic force and gravity and the mass density of the universe. These have similar degrees of fine-tuning. Together they form a delicately balanced system, virtually nothing of which can be altered without either preventing the universe from existing or making it unsuitable for any form of life to exist. This would be similar, uh, this would be similar to painting one of those grains of sand blue one green and one yellow and picking them out in that order after the, re the red grain. Is it not much more reasonable to conclude that the universe and life are a result of willful intelligent design? Such fine-tuning 
throughout the laws of physics demonstrates the wisdom and power of the creator of the universe. As the Quran tells us, he is the originator of the heavens and the earth. And when he decrees something, he says only be and it is. Chapter 2, verse 117. Now, having a creator is one thing, but how do we know we have a purpose? Everything in this universe has a purpose. Even simple things like a chair, a bowl, and even the book you are holding in your hands serve a purpose. Would it not be sad if we did not have a purpose? If we reflect and look at the world around us, we can easily come to the conclusion that we must have a purpose. Think about the vastness of our universe with all its billions of galaxies and trillions of planets. The Quran tells us that God did not create all this for no reason. We did not create the heavens and the earth and everything between them playfully. Quran chapter 21, 21 verse 16. The sun gives us warmth, the clouds give us rain, the trees and animals gives us uh, food. Since a lot of systems that God has put in a place in our universe are to ensure our survival and well-being, then God must have a purpose in mind for us too. This is what the Quran tells us about this purpose. It is God who created the heavens and the earth, who has sent down water from the sky and with it brought forth produce to nourish you. He has made ships useful to you, sailing the sea by his command, and the rivers too. He has made the sun and the moon useful to you, steady on their paths. He has made the night and day useful to you and given you some of everything you asked him for. If you tried to account, if you tried to count God's favors, you could never calculate them. Quran chapter 14 verses 32 to 34. So that, so that nagging question comes up again. What is our purpose? Again, the Quran has the answer. I created jinn, spirits, and mankind only to worship me. Quran chapter 51 verse 56. Now, what do you understand about worship? or in Arabic, ibadah. Most will say prayer. This is correct. However, in the Quran, worship or, or is full servitude, and it is much more comprehensive than just praying. It includes all acts of obedience that are pleasing to our Creator. Even exercise and eating can be acts of worship if our intention is to stay healthy and strong. What perform worship? Sorry, why perform worship? Why perform worship? It is important to understand that our Creator does not need our worship. In fact, the Quran tells us that it is human beings who have a need to worship. We are more than just flesh and bone. We have a spiritual side that also needs nourishing. Many people are wealthy, materially speaking, but are unhappy with their lives because they neglect their spiritual well-being. In order for us to experience true peace, both of both our bodies and soul need to be in tune with our Creator. 
truly it is in the remembrance of God that hearts find peace. Chapter 13, verse 28. By endeavoring to make every aspect of our lives pleasing to our Creator, we will be in a state of constant remembrance of God and our hearts will be at peace. This is a revolutionary way of thinking, but practically, if someone were to do this, a lot of their actions would not change. A lot of their actions would not change. Crucially, however, the thought process behind their actions would, and they would find the inner peace so needed in today's society. Again, I will repeat that this is a revolutionary way of thinking, but practically, if someone were to do this, a lot of their actions would not change. Crucially, however, the thought process behind their actions would, the thought process behind their actions would, and they would find the inner peace so needed in today's society. So, a question rises, what is the best way to worship God? To help us consider this, let us again return to the example of mobile phones. Mobile phones are obviously not as sophisticated as human beings, but we share many things in common. We both have a lifespan, we both require energy to function correctly, and we both can be damaged if we are not properly taken care of. When mobile phones develop a problem, the first thing most people do is to refer to the instruction manual for the mobile phone. Why? Because it has been made to show us the best way of using it, and we rightly listen to the experts. The creator of the phone knows the best way to use that phone, and they have imparted their knowledge to us in the form of instructional manuals. Similarly, uh, similarly then, the Qur'an is like an instruction manual for humanity as it came from the one who made us, God, our Creator, and He knows us better from, uh, from the one whom, uh, sorry, and He knows us better than we know ourselves. Similarly then, the Qur'an is like an instruction manual for humanity as it came from the one who made us, God, our Creator, and He knows us better than we know ourselves. This is why his knowledge and his guidance for how we should live will always surpass any invented human philosophies and ways of life. Why would an all-powerful, all-wise being send us guidance? Why not just create us and leave us to our own devices? The Quran tells us that as well as having attributes of power and wisdom, our Creator is also the most forgiving and most loving. It is He who brings people to life and will restore them to life again. And He is the most forgiving, the most loving. Quran chapter 85, verses 13 and 14. Our Creator cares about us and it is out of His mercy that He sent mankind the Quran. This is the end of part one. Alhamdulillah. Praise be to Allah. Bismillahir Rahman Rahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. 
the eternal challenge a journey through the miraculous quran part 3 by abu zakaria stories of the prophets and past nations the quran informs us that every nation on earth has at some point in its history been sent a messenger by god We sent a messenger to every community saying worship God and shun false gods. Chapter 16 verse 36. This shows us that messengers play an important role in revelation. Every messenger sent by God to mankind from the very first prophet Adam all the way to the final prophet Muhammad came with the same core message of monotheism. meaning worship the one true God, the incomparable, our creator, and not false gods. Many are not aware that Muslims revere individuals such as Abraham, Moses, and Jesus as great prophets of God. The Quran acknowledges their high status among mankind and commands Muslims to hold all of them in equally high regard. Say, You believers say, so you believers say, we believe in God and in what was and in what was sent down to us and what was sent down to Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob and the tribes and what was given to Moses, Jesus and all the prophets by the Lord. We make no distinction between any of them and we devote ourselves to him chapter 2 verse 136 this commonality between the quran and other scriptures is a strong indication that the god who inspired the prophet muhammad is the same god that inspired abraham moses and jesus may peace be upon them all Although these individuals represented the best of mankind in terms of their honesty, truthfulness, and integrity, the Qur'an teaches that they are still human beings who did not share in any of the attributes of God. One of the most important individuals mentioned in the Qur'an is Jesus, peace be upon him. In fact, Islam holds a unique position among world religions as it is the only religion other than Christianity that acknowledges Jesus as the Messiah. Whilst there are many similarities between Islam and Christianity when it comes to Jesus, the main area where the Quran differs is the nature of Jesus. The Quran clarifies for mankind that Jesus was not divine, but rather a human messenger sent by God. The Messiah, son of Mary, was only a messenger. Other messengers had come and gone before him. His mother was a virtuous woman. Both ate food like other mortals. See how clear we make these signs for them. Chapter 5, verse 75. This verse illustrates one of the many beautiful qualities. This verse illustrates one of the many beautiful qualities of the Quran, its simplicity. The Quran contains a universal message for people of all ages and backgrounds from the child to the adult from lay people to scholars. 
The example presented by the Quran here, the need of sustenance by Jesus is in fact profound if we reflect upon it. Anything that has a need, in this case food, cannot be God. What happens if the need is unfulfilled? In this case, Jesus would die from hunger. But we know that God is all-powerful. He cannot die. Yet, why did God choose to send messengers at all? Why not just drop scripture from the sky? Messengers play the crucial role of teachers. Having revelation or knowledge is one thing. We also need teacher or a teacher to provide its correct interpretation, explanation, and example in order for mankind to make use of the knowledge and implement it uh, properly. <clears throat> Imagine going to a school that is without teachers, with the children just being handed the textbooks on a complex subjects such as, uh, such as uh, algebra. Aside from the school being a very rowdy environment, many of us would struggle to understand the information contained in the books. Along with the stories of the prophets, the Quran is filled with the stories of past nations who followed God and those who refused to follow God's messengers and rebuild against God. Stories are an amazing means of capturing our attention and imparting wisdom and morals when we reflect on them. There is a lesson in the stories of such people for those who understand. Chapter 12, verse 111. These stories are not in the Quran for the purpose of entertainment, but rather to serve as an example to us so that we can avoid the mistakes of past nations in history. The Quran tells us that the Prophet Muhammad is the last and final messenger. Muhammad is not the father of any one of you. Muhammad is not the father of any one of you men. He is God's messenger. He is God's messenger and the seal of the prophets. Chapter 33 verse 40. If God had sent many messengers before Muhammad, then why would he stop at Muhammad? Why would God not continue to send more messengers in the future? Every messenger prior to Muhammad was sent to his own people and not the whole of humanity. The Prophet Muhammad is the only messenger who was sent to the whole of mankind. We have sent you, Prophet, only. We have sent you, O Prophet, only to bring good news and warning to all people. Chapter 34, verse 28. Moreover, the message of Muhammad, the Qur'an, represents perfection and the way of life for human beings to live. As God says, Today I have perfected your religion for you, completed my blessing or favor upon you, and chosen as your religion Islam. Chapter 5, verse 3. If something has been perfected, it cannot be further improved. There is no need to send any additional messengers or messages to mankind. Bismillahir Rahman Rahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. The eternal challenge 
A Journey Through the Miraculous Quran, Part 3 by Abu Zakariya Stories of the Prophets and Past Nations The Quran informs us that every nation on earth has at some point in its history been sent a messenger by God. We sent a messenger to every community saying, Worship God and shun false gods. Chapter 16, verse 36. This shows us that messengers play an important role in revelation. Every messenger sent by God to mankind from the very first prophet Adam all the way to the final prophet Muhammad came with the same core message of monotheism meaning worship the one true God, the incomparable, our creator, and not false gods. Many are not aware that Muslims revere individuals such as Abraham, Moses, and Jesus as great prophets of God. The Quran acknowledges their high status among mankind and commands Muslims to hold all of them in equally high regard. Say... You believers say, so you believers say, we believe in God and in what was and in what was sent down to us and what was sent down to Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob and the tribes and what was given to Moses, Jesus and all the prophets by the Lord. We make no distinction between any of them and we devote ourselves to him. Chapter 2, verse 136. This commonality between the Quran and other scriptures is a strong indication that the God who inspired the Prophet Muhammad is the same God that inspired Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. May peace be upon them all. Although these individuals represented the best of mankind in terms of their honesty, truthfulness, and integrity, the Qur'an teaches that they are still human beings who did not share in any of the attributes of God. One of the most important individuals mentioned in the Qur'an is Jesus, peace be upon him. In fact, Islam holds a unique position among world religions as it is the only religion other than Christianity that acknowledges Jesus as the Messiah. Whilst there are many similarities between Islam and Christianity when it comes to Jesus, the main area where the Quran differs is the nature of Jesus. The Quran clarifies for mankind that Jesus was not divine but rather a human messenger sent by God. The Messiah, son of Mary, was only a messenger. Other messengers had come and gone before him. His mother was a virtuous woman. Both ate food like other mortals. See how clear we make these signs for them. Chapter 5, verse 75. This verse illustrates one of the many beautiful qualities. This verse illustrates one of the many beautiful qualities of the Quran, its simplicity. The Quran contains a universal message for people of all ages and backgrounds, from the child to the adult, from lay people to scholars. 
The example presented by the Quran here, the need of sustenance by Jesus is in fact profound if we reflect upon it. Anything that has a need, in this case food, cannot be God. What happens if the need is unfulfilled? In this case, Jesus would die from hunger. But we know that God is all-powerful. He cannot die. Yet, why did God choose to send messengers at all? Why not just drop scripture from the sky? Messengers play the crucial role of teachers. Having revelation or knowledge is one thing. We also need teacher or a teacher to provide its correct interpretation, explanation, and example in order for mankind to make use of the knowledge and implement it uh, properly. <clears throat> Imagine going to a school that is without teachers, with the children just being handed the textbooks on a complex subjects such as, uh, such as uh, algebra. Aside from the school being a very rowdy environment, many of us would struggle to understand the information contained in the books. Along with the stories of the prophets, the Quran is filled with the stories of past nations who followed God and those who refused to follow God's messengers and rebuild against God. Stories are an amazing means of capturing our attention and imparting wisdom and morals when we reflect on them. There is a lesson in the stories of such people for those who understand. Chapter 12, verse 111. These stories are not in the Quran for the purpose of entertainment, but rather to serve as an example to us so that we can avoid the mistakes of past nations in history. The Quran tells us that the Prophet Muhammad is the last and final messenger. Muhammad is not the father of any one of you. Muhammad is not the father of any one of you men. He is God's messenger. He is God's messenger and the seal of the prophets. Chapter 33 verse 40. If God had sent many messengers before Muhammad, then why would he stop at Muhammad? Why would God not continue to send more messengers in the future? Every messenger prior to Muhammad was sent to his own people and not the whole of humanity. The Prophet Muhammad is the only messenger who was sent to the whole of mankind. We have sent you, Prophet, only. We have sent you, O Prophet, only to bring good news and warning to all people. Chapter 34, verse 28. Moreover, the message of Muhammad, the Qur'an, represents perfection and the way of life for human beings to live. As God says, Today I have perfected your religion for you, completed my blessing or favor upon you, and chosen as your religion, Islam. Chapter 5, verse 3. If something has been perfected, it cannot be further improved. There is no need to send any additional messengers or messages to mankind. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. The eternal challenge 
A Journey Through the Miraculous Quran, Part 3 by Abu Zakaria Stories of the Prophets and Past Nations The Quran informs us that every nation on earth has at some point in its history been sent a messenger by God. We sent a messenger to every community saying, Worship God and shun false gods. Chapter 16, verse 36. This shows us that messengers play an important role in revelation. Every messenger sent by God to mankind from the very first prophet Adam all the way to the final prophet Muhammad came with the same core message of monotheism meaning worship the one true God, the incomparable, our creator, and not false gods. Many are not aware that Muslims revere individuals such as Abraham, Moses, and Jesus as great prophets of God. The Quran acknowledges their high status among mankind and commands Muslims to hold all of them in equally high regard. Say, you believers say, so you believers say, we believe in God and in what was and in what was sent down to us and what was sent down to Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob and the tribes and what was given to Moses, Jesus and all the prophets by the Lord. We make no distinction between any of them and we devote ourselves to him. Chapter 2, verse 136. This commonality between the Quran and other scriptures is a strong indication that the God who inspired the Prophet Muhammad is the same God that inspired Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. May peace be upon them all. Although these individuals represented the best of mankind in terms of their honesty, truthfulness, and integrity, the Qur'an teaches that they are still human beings who did not share in any of the attributes of God. One of the most important individuals mentioned in the Qur'an is Jesus, peace be upon him. In fact, Islam holds a unique position among world religions as it is the only religion other than Christianity that acknowledges Jesus as the Messiah. Whilst there are many similarities between Islam and Christianity when it comes to Jesus, the main area where the Quran differs is the nature of Jesus. The Quran clarifies for mankind that Jesus was not divine but rather a human messenger sent by God. The Messiah, son of Mary, was only a messenger. Other messengers had come and gone before him. His mother was a virtuous woman. Both ate food like other mortals. See how clear we make these signs for them. Chapter 5, verse 75. This verse illustrates one of the many beautiful qualities. This verse illustrates one of the many beautiful qualities of the Quran, its simplicity. The Quran contains a universal message for people of all ages and backgrounds, from the child to the adult, from lay people to scholars. 
the example presented by the Quran here, the need of sustenance by Jesus is in fact profound if we reflect upon it. Anything that has a need, in this case food, cannot be got. What happens if the need is unfulfilled? In this case, Jesus would die from hunger. But we know that God is all-powerful. He cannot die. Yet, why did God choose to send messengers at all? Why not just drop scripture from the sky? Messengers play the crucial role of teachers. Having revelation or knowledge is one thing. We also need teacher or a teacher to provide its correct interpretation, explanation and example in order for mankind to make use of the knowledge and implement it uh, properly. <clears throat> Imagine going to a school that is without teachers with the children just being handed the textbooks on a complex subjects such as uh, such as uh, algebra. Aside from the school being a very rowdy environment, many of us would struggle to understand the information contained in the books. Along with the stories of the prophets, the Quran is filled with the stories of past nations who followed God and those who refused to follow God's messengers and rebuild against God. Stories are an amazing means of capturing our attention and imparting wisdom and morals when we reflect on them. There is a lesson in the stories of such people for those who understand. Chapter 12, verse 111. These stories are not in the Quran for the purpose of entertainment, but rather to serve as an example to us so that we can avoid the mistakes of past nations in history. The Quran tells us that the Prophet Muhammad is the last and final messenger. Muhammad is not the father of any one of you. Muhammad is not the father of any one of you men. He is God's messenger. He is God's messenger and the seal of the prophets. Chapter 33 verse 40. If God had sent many messengers before Muhammad, then why would he stop at Muhammad? Why would God not continue to send more messengers in the future? Every messenger prior to Muhammad was sent to his own people and not the whole of humanity. The Prophet Muhammad is the only messenger who was sent to the whole of mankind. We have sent you, Prophet, only. We have sent you, O Prophet, only to bring good news and warning to all people. Chapter 34, verse 28. Moreover, the message of Muhammad, the Qur'an, represents perfection and the way of life for human beings to live. As God says, Today I have perfected your religion for you, completed my blessing or favor upon you, and chosen as your religion Islam. Chapter 5, verse 3. If something has been perfected, it cannot be further improved. There is no need to send any additional messengers or messages to mankind. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. The eternal challenge. A journey through the miraculous Quran.
by Abu Zakaria. Preface The last century has witnessed a surge in literature about the Quran in many languages written by Muslims and non-Muslims alike. More often than not, such works focus on a single topic or are directed at a scholarly audience. So I decided to write this book because there was a need for a comprehensive and up-to-date work about the Qur'an for people of all faiths and none. I have avoided an academic style in order to make the book accessible to everyone. No prior knowledge of the Qur'an or Islam is needed to read this book. I want to give readers an insight into why the Qur'an has captivated the hearts and minds of over 1.5 billion Muslims around the world, including my own. Please note that it is not possible for one book to cover every nuance of the Qur'an, nor is it possible to address every contention. Such a scope would require volumes. I therefore encourage readers to reflect on the points this book raises and also undertake their own further research. My sincere hope is that this book will serve as a valuable companion for those sitting out on the stimulating journey to discover the message of the Quran, a message that extends to everyone who is prepared to listen to what it has to say. We value any feedback that you might have. As such, we have set up an online research to provide updates to the book and also address any questions we receive from readers. This is, you can visit www.onereason.org slash eternal challenge. Also, as this is the first book of its kind, there is a possibility of errors. If readers do happen to come across any errors, then we kindly request that you please notify us eternal challenge at onereason.org so that they can be corrected in a future edition. Finally, I would like to thank all those who helped me along my journey of writing this book, which represents the culmination of decades of collective research. This book would simply not have been possible without the support of my family and the hard work of my peers who are too numerous to mention by name. I am especially grateful to Hamza uh, Zoratziz and uh, Sabur Ahmed for entrusting me with writing a book of this importance. Their contributions and encouragement have been invaluable. Most importantly of all, I am grateful to Allah for His help, without which nothing, nothing could have been done. I humbly pray to Him to accept this work as a service unto Him and to forgive me for any unintentional mistakes. Abu Zakaria, ManyProphets1Message.com
a very important website, manyprofits1message.com. Well, let's go over the content. I'll just go over the content quickly so that you will have a comprehensive look. What is the Quran? What does it teach? What are its main themes? Belief in God Almighty, stories of the prophets and past nations, the hereafter, why believe in the Quran, the concept of God, preservation, timelessly relevant, timelessly relevant, literary features, structure, accurate predictions about the future, reveals lost knowledge from history, cannot be imitated, life of the Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessing be upon him, impact on society, reflections on the signs of the Quran. These are the topics that will be covered in addition to who authored the Quran, some final thoughts, and of course, at the end of the book, there are references. Well, let's go over the topics or the content, take topic by topic. First, what is the Quran? What is the Quran and how did it come about? Muslims believer, Muslims believe, sorry, Muslims believe that the Quran was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, by God Almighty through the angel Gabriel. The Quran informs us that Muhammad is the final messenger in a long line of messengers that God sent before him, such as Abraham, Moses, and Jesus, peace be upon them all. This is one of the many unique aspects of the Quran. It acknowledges all of the messengers sent by God. The Quran's impact on the world is immeasurable. Although the Quran was revealed in 7th century Arabia, it contains a universal message for the whole of mankind. Because of the Quran, there are over 1.5 billion Muslims in the world today, near, nearly a quarter of a humanity. They are people of all races. They are people of all races, nationalities, and backgrounds. Just to give you a practical demonstration of how many Muslims there are in the world at any given moment, on any day, someone somewhere is reciting the Quran. It is estimated that there are many millions of Muslims alive today who have memorized the, who have memorized the entire Quran one has to wonder what is it about the Qur'an that has made such an imprint on the hearts of over a billion Muslims. While the Qur'an is the most widely read book in the world, it is also arguably the most often misunderstood and misrepresented. These days it seems that everyone is talking about the Qur'an. But how many have actually read it? How many have allowed it to speak uh, for itself? Whether you have read the Qur'an or not, whether you have even heard of the Qur'an before or not, it has already shaped and influenced your life in ways you cannot imagine. You may be thinking to yourself, do all religions 
not make fantastical claims. After all, if these ancient books were originally written in the past and we were not there at the time to witness the events, then does not belief in them ultimately derive from blind faith? Muslims do not just believe in, the, in that, do not just believe that the Quran again, Muslims do not just believe that the Quran is from God based on a blind faith. The Quran is a living miracle, one that we can all experience for ourselves. Bold claims need to be backed up by strong evidence. As you are going to see, the Quran challenges its reader and engages our intellect by providing many testable and verifiable proofs of its divine origin. This book is going to challenge misconceptions and make some strong assertions. If you are a skeptic of religious books because you think they are filled with too many fantastical claims and insufficient evidence, then prepare to be surprised. If you have already read the Quran and think that you have seen everything uh, it has to offer, think again. What does it teach? What does it teach? There is a profound question that each and every one of us reflects on at some point during our lives. Why am I here? What is my purpose? When we reflect upon our own existence, we will come to the realization that at some point in time we began to exist. Since we once did not exist and now we do, it follows that we must have had a beginning. In the light of this, the Quran puts forward a simple but powerful argument with regard to our origins. Or were they created by nothing? Or were they created by nothing? Or were they the creators of themselves? Or did they create the heavens and the earth? Rather, they are not certain. Quran chapter 52 verses 35 and 36. The Quran engages its audience by inviting us to ponder upon some rational, logical questions which we can use to arrive at a conclusion. Not only about our origin, but also about the origin of everything that exists in the material world. In other words, the entire universe. There is an abundance, there is an abundance, there is an abundance of cosmological evidence that the universe had a beginning. This is the most predominant view among cosmologist, if we take these questions that the Qur'an poses and apply them to the universe, then there are three possibilities for its origin. One, it was created from nothing. Two, it was self-created. Three, it has an external cause. The first possibility is that the universe was created from nothing. Can something really come from nothing? This is impossible. We know from our own personal experience of life as well as the laws of the universe that things do not just pop into existence out of nothing. Out of nothing, nothing comes. 
Out of nothing, nothing comes. This leads us to the next possibility. The universe was self-created. Can something create itself? This is a self-contradiction. Something creating itself requires its own pre-existence. Things cannot exist and not exist at the same time. That would be like saying that your mother gave birth to herself. Since something cannot come from nothing and self-creation is absurd, then what is the alternative? There is one final possibility. The universe has an external cause. This is the best explanation for the origin of the universe and everything in it, including ourselves, because it is intuitive and concurs with natural law. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. One has to wonder, is the creative force behind the universe some random event or an intelligent mind? Universal human existence tells us that when we find things working according to systems and laws, something intelligent has made those systems and laws. Let us take an example of something most of us have and use on a regular basis, the mobile phone. Mobile phones are composed of a few basic elements such as plastic, glass, silicon and some uh, precious metals. Plastic comes from oil, glass and silicon come from sand. So basically what you are holding in your hand is, so, is oil and sand. Now imagine if you were walking along the desert. Now imagine if you were, walk, uh, if you were walking along the desert rich in oil and sand and you picked up a mobile phone which you just found lying there. Would the thought ever enter your mind that this is a product of millions of years of random events? The wind blew, the sun shone, the rain fall. Sorry, again, the wind blew, the sun shone, the rain fell, lightning, lightning struck, the oil bubbled, the camel trod, and after millions and millions of years, the mobile phone formed itself. In reality, is there a chance that this could have randomly formed itself through natural processes? In reality, is there a chance that this mobile could have randomly formed itself through natural processes? However remotely possible, most of us would simply not accept this as a reasonable explanation. Why then would we accept such an explanation for our universe which is significantly more complex than a mobile phone? When we observe the planets, solar systems, galaxies, stars and everything else in the universe, we see that they are all highly ordered with intricate systems and laws in place. A good example is the incredible fine-tuning of the universe. Evidence shows that the constants of physics have been finely tuned to a degree impossible for human engineering to achieve, never mind a random event. One such example is the cosmological constant. The Nobel Prize winner and a professor of physics, Steven Weinberg, made the following calculation with regard to the cosmological constant. Let's hear it.
one constant does seem to require an incredible fine-tuning. The existence of life of any kind seems to require cancellation between different contributions to the vacuum energy uh, accurate to about 120 decimal places. If not, if not, the universe either would go through a complete cycle of explanation, sorry, if not, the universe either would go through a complete cycle of expansion and contraction before life could arise or would expand so rapidly that no galaxies or stars could form. I will repeat this. One constant does seem to require an incredible fine-tuning. The existence of life of any kind seems to require a cancellation between different contributions to the vacuum energy accurate to about 120 decimal places. If not, the universe either would go through a complete cycle of expansion and contraction before life could arise, or would expand so rapidly that no galaxies or stars could form. To put it, in, to put it another way, if this constant differed by one part, uh, uh, then if this constant differed in one part, in uh, in in the in the mil- uh, then there would have been uh, uh, to put it in another way, if this constant differed by one part. Uh, then there would have been no chance for life in the universe. This degree of fine-tuning is difficult to imagine because such accuracy represents an incredibly sensitive balance. The following analogy should make it easier to visualize. Imagine if every grain of sand on earth from every beach and desert that exist was collected together and placed in a gigantic container. Now take just one of these grains, paint it red, and mix it back with the rest of the sand. Blindfold a friend and ask them to pick out the red grain. What are the odds that they will be successful? Yet you would have to believe in such a feat to believe that the fine-tuning of the universe came about by chance. The cosmological constant is just one example. There are many others, including the ratio of electrons and protons, the ratio of electromagnetic force and gravity, and the mass density of the universe. These have similar degrees of fine-tuning. Together they form a delicately balanced system, virtually nothing of which can be altered without either preventing the universe from existing or making it unsuitable for any form of life to exist. This would be similar, uh, this would be similar to painting one of those grains of sand blue, one green and one yellow, and picking them out in that order after the, re- the red grain. Is it not much more reasonable to conclude that the universe and life are a result of willful intelligent design? Such fine-tuning throughout the laws of physics demonstrates the wisdom and power of the creator of the universe. As the Quran tells us, he is the originator of the heavens and the earth. And when he decrees something, he says only be and it is. 
chapter 2, verse 117. Now, having a creator is one thing, but how do we know we have a purpose? Everything in this universe has a purpose, even simple things like a chair, a bowl, and even the book you are holding in your hands serve a purpose. Would it not be sad if we did not have a purpose? If we reflect and look at the world around us, we can easily come to the conclusion that we must have a purpose. Think about the vastness of our universe with all its billions of galaxies and trillions of planets. The Quran tells us that God did not create all this for no reason. We did not create the heavens and the earth and everything between them playfully. Quran chapter 21 21 verse 16. The sun gives us warmth, the clouds give us rain, the trees and animals give us uh, food. Since a lot of systems that God has put in a place in our universe are to ensure our survival and well-being, then God must have a purpose in mind for us too. This is what the Quran tells us about this purpose. It is God who created the heavens and the earth, who has sent down water from the sky and with it brought forth produce to nourish you. He has made ships useful to you, sailing the sea by his command, and the rivers too. He has made the sun and the moon useful to you, steady on their paths. He has made the night and day useful to you and given you some of everything you asked him for. If you tried to account, if you tried to count God's favors, you could never calculate them. Quran chapter 14 verses 32 to 34. So that so that nagging question comes up again. What is our purpose? Again the Quran has the answer. I created jinn, spirits, and mankind only to worship me. Quran chapter 51 verse 56. Now, what do you understand about worship? Or in Arabic, ibadah. Most will say prayer. This is correct. However, in the Quran, worship or, or is full servitude, and it is much more comprehensive than just praying. It includes all acts of obedience that are pleasing to our Creator. Even exercise and eating can be acts of worship if our intention is to stay healthy and strong. What perform worship? Sorry, why perform worship? Why perform worship? It is important to understand that our Creator does not need our worship. In fact, the Quran tells us that it is human beings who have a need to worship. We are more than just flesh and bone. We have a spiritual side that also needs nourishing. Many people are wealthy, materially speaking, but are unhappy with their lives because they neglect their spiritual well-being. In order for us to experience true peace, both of both our bodies and soul need to be in tune with our Creator. Truly, it is in the remembrance of God that hearts find peace. Chapter 13, verse 28. By endeavoring to make every aspect of our lives pleasing to our Creator, we will be in a state of constant remembrance of God and our hearts will be at peace. 
This is a revolutionary way of thinking. But practically, if someone were to do this, a lot of their actions would not change. A lot of their actions would not change. Crucially, however, the thought process behind their actions would and they would find the inner peace so needed in today's society. Again, I will repeat that this is a revolutionary way of thinking, but practically, if someone were to do this, a lot of their actions would not change. Crucially, however, the thought process behind their actions would, the thought process behind their actions would, and they would find the inner peace so needed in today's society. So, a question rises, what is the best way to worship God? To help us consider this, let us again return to the example of mobile phones. Mobile phones are obviously not as sophisticated as human beings, but we share many things in common. We both have a lifespan, we both require energy to function correctly, and we both can be damaged if we are not properly taken care of. When mobile phones develop a problem, the first thing most people do is to refer to the instruction manual for the mobile phone. Why? Because it has been made to show us the best way of using it, and we rightly listen to the experts. The creator of the phone knows the best way to use that phone, and they have imparted their knowledge to us in the form of instructional manuals. Similarly, uh, similarly then, the Qur'an is like an instruction manual for humanity as it came from the one who made us, God, our Creator, and He knows us better from, uh, from the one whom, uh, sorry, and He knows us better than we know ourselves. Similarly then, the Qur'an is like an instruction manual for humanity as it came from the one who made us, God, our Creator, and He knows us better than we know ourselves. This is why his knowledge and his guidance for how we should live will always surpass any invented human philosophies and ways of life. Why would an all-powerful, all-wise being send us guidance? Why not just create us and leave us to our own devices? The Quran tells us that as well as having attributes of power and wisdom, our Creator is also the most forgiving and most loving. It is He who brings people to life and will restore them to life again. And He is the most forgiving, the most loving. Quran chapter 85, verses 13 and 14. Our Creator cares about us and it is out of His mercy that He sent mankind the Quran. This is the end of part one. Alhamdulillah. Praise be to Allah.